Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 54. Today is Friday, October 16th, 2020. I'm your host, William Galloway, and got a great show for you on tap today, getting ready to preview Alabama versus Georgia in Tuscaloosa, a top five matchup in Nick Saban versus Kirby Smart. We're going to talk with Mike Griffith of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Dog Nation. We'll talk with Mike shortly here on the program and want to welcome you into the Galloway Podcast. As always, want to remind you that the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out on those three platforms and share with your friends on social media. Of course, we're going to go around what's new. And by doing that this fall, we're going around the SEC scoreboard. We'll talk with our guest today. That's Mike Griffith. And then as we always do, we'll close up with Around Alabama Athletics. So I want to thank you for spending your time listening to the Galloway podcast got a great show on tap for you today so without further ado let's kick it into what's new and go around the SEC scoreboard with what happened last week in SEC football Florida went to College Station and lost to the Aggies so the Aggies now two and one Florida two and one as well but the number four ranked Gators lost by three and a team that everybody thought was maybe a you know, might be able to sneak in the the college football playoff is now in question, uh, losing to Texas A&M was ranked number 21, but a, a big a big loss for the Gators on the road. Kyle Trask 312 yards through the air. Kellen Mond had a pretty good game with 338 passing yards, and so now interested to see where Florida goes from here. You know, a lot of people were thinking they were going to be the number two team in the SEC East, besides behind Georgia. And I've gone on record saying that I think that number two team could be Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. Well, what's going to happen with Florida and Tennessee? We're going to find out later on this season, but for now, we know the Gators now have a top 25 loss. They're 2-1. and one. They fell to Texas A&M. So big win for Jimbo Fisher in that program, that Aggie program. And also last week in the SEC, this was huge. Missouri with their first conference win of the year, first win of the year. Obviously, all games are conference games. But over LSU, defending national champion. So Eli Drinkwitz gets his first SEC win as head coach at Missouri, and it couldn't have been bigger for the Tigers in terms of the Missouri Tigers. It was so fun to watch that game, and um, you know, all game long it was tooth and nail, and Missouri came out up at the end, scoring the only touchdown in the fourth quarter. Miles Brennan did have 430 passing yards, but how about Connor Bazelak, the freshman for Missouri? He was just incredible. He was showing off his arm talent all game long, so Missouri gets the four-point win, 45-41 to over LSU. Of course, that game was in Columbia. However, it was technically a home game for LSU because of Hurricane Delta, so a lot of situations and circumstances going into that game. South Carolina got the best of Vanderbilt in Nashville, 41-7, to so the two quiet teams in the SEC East battled it out, and South Carolina with a big win. Vanderbilt continues to struggle, fell to 0-3. Not much to say about that game other than that South Carolina Vandy, not highly talked about in the SEC East, and they won't be highly talked about because the SEC East is top-heavy with those Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida teams. Now, Tennessee-Georgia, now that was a game. Uh, number three, Georgia. Number 14, Tennessee. Thought this one would have been a little bit closer than it was. Georgia came out on top 44-21. to We'll talk with Mike about this Bulldog team specifically here in a moment. But Georgia jumps to 3-0. and And Tennessee didn't – they put up a fight for the first half. Uh, they were winning at halftime. But they just kind of folded, couldn't score in the second half. 
And they're going to get there. You know, I think the Vols are going to get there. I, I still believe in Jeremy Pruitt. I believe in the job that he's doing there. But Georgia was just too good, and we know that. And Georgia and Alabama are running the SEC right now. And, of course, Georgia came out on top 44-21. to 21. Uh, Stetson Bennett, we're going to talk about him and what he brings to the table. That's all coming up with Mike here in a moment. Now, here's where it gets good, y'all. Arkansas at Auburn. Auburn with a 30-28 to win over the Hogs in Auburn, Alabama. Auburn now 2-1, and one, Arkansas 1-2. and two, But the way that game ended, oh, man, we could do a four-hour podcast on this one. The ruling from Bo Nix's fumble and then spike, it was that he never fumbled the ball. And so, of course, you've got to go with the ruling on the field and that there was no fumble called. And as frustrating as that is and how Arkansas could have gone on to win the game and Sam Pittman expressed his frustration and the SEC came out and made a statement about what should have happened in that game, that was just a wild finish. And so Arkansas and Felipe Franks played a really good game. Uh, you know, offensively in terms of the passing game, dominated Bo Nix. And, and of course, Felipe Franks has much more uh, SEC experience, but Arkansas falls 28-30 to at Auburn last weekend. Alabama Ole Miss, of course, the Crimson Tide won 63-48 to over Lane Kiffin in Oxford. And, you know, again, much like the Auburn situation, what happened with that Arkansas game, we could dive into this Alabama Ole Miss situation. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't want to hear much about this Alabama Ole Miss game because you saw it. You probably don't want to relive it. But I got to give – props to Najee Harris for a career game. Mac Jones played extremely well. Matt Corral, very, very talented quarterback for Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin giving that Alabama um, defense just fits. And one of the worst performances we've seen from an Alabama defense in years past, Najee Harris just, just carried the Crimson Tide through. And Mac Jones made some big plays, and the explosive Alabama offense ultimately proved to be too much, but giving up over 600 yards of offense is unacceptable for this Alabama defense. And I'm really interested to see what happened this past week to prepare for Georgia to see what this Alabama defense is, how they're going to respond to such a performance last week in Oxford. Again, Alabama 63-48 to over Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin last weekend. And then how about this? Wrapping up the SEC, Mississippi State at Kentucky. Kentucky wins it 24-2. to That's like a really, really bad baseball game score or an outrageous softball game score. It's not a college football game score, just not at all. K.J. Costello goes from lighting up LSU in week one to now scoring two points at Kentucky? What is going on with Mike Leach and Starkville? This was a team we were all riding high on after they beat LSU, and now we have no clue what's going on in Starkville. Well, I've always said this Halloween game, October 31st, Alabama versus Mississippi State is going to be interesting, and it continues to develop that way. It just may not be high-scoring, you know, two prolific offenses like we thought, but Mississippi State with a questionable performance extremely questionable performance getting two points at Kentucky so that's a look back at what happened in the SEC last weekend and of course we look forward now to this weekend obviously the headline game we're going to talk about with Mike here in a moment Alabama Georgia but just a rundown of this week's games Auburn at South Carolina that'll be 11 o'clock central on ESPN Kentucky at Tennessee that'll also be 
at 11 o'clock. That one's going to be on SEC Network. At 2.30 on SEC Network, Ole Miss will travel to Arkansas. And, of course, there's been a lot of postponements. LSU Florida is one of those due to the COVID and Texas A&M at Mississippi State. That will be played 3 p.m. ESPN in Starkville. So we'll get to learn a little bit more about this Aggie team as a whole. Right now, ranked number 11, sitting at 2-1. and one. And, of course, Vanderbilt, Missouri is postponed as well. So that's what's coming up in the SEC this weekend. Let's kick it over to Mike Griffith of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Dog Nation here on the Galloway Podcast. Reminder, the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. I'm joined now by Mike Griffith of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution getting ready for Alabama-Georgia game day on Saturday. Mike, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've come to the end of the week, and kickoff is uh, nearly 24 hours away, and uh, going to be a great one in this top-five matchup in Tuscaloosa. So let's go ahead and get right started. Um, from a Georgia perspective, Coach been testing positive for COVID-19. How does that influence their preparation for this game, uh, specifically a game that's on the road? I don't think it changes anything for Georgia. You know, uh, Kirby keeps his team pretty focused from one week to the next. You know, they've, they've got that mentality that it's, that it's just another game. Obviously, the stakes are higher in terms of national television, the rivalry, the history. Uh, motivation hasn't been a factor at practice this week, as you might imagine. This is kind of what Georgia's been building towards this season, a game that's been circled on the calendar for a while. But I don't expect uh, Coach Saban's situation to have any effect on the Georgia side of things in terms of their preparation at least it's certainly affecting Alabama Uh, we all know that and have seen the stuff from coach Saban and uh, the zoom practice the way he was leading practice on Thursday and lots of questions on what's going to happen on game day we'll have to see about that but tell me about this Georgia offense what are the keys going in um, for Kirby Smart and this this Bulldog offense especially as it pertains to uh, Stetson Bennett Zamir White and the offense as a whole yeah, well, Stetson hasn't thrown an interception yet. They've been fortunate. There were a couple of potential interceptions dropped, and that's really been key for Georgia, not to turn the ball over. They've got a championship-caliber defense. It's really hard to drive the field on them. It'll be interesting to see how Alabama matches up with that with that great offense. But really the key has been uh, not turning the ball over. Uh, good third-down conversion rate. I think Todd Munkin's done a nice job, relatively uh, new to the league, not new to college football. He's been around before, but I think it takes time for defenses to kind of get a book and see what Georgia wants to do. And we're four games in, and I think Alabama will probably have a little better read than maybe the last few opponents did. And tell me about just Stetson as a quarterback. I mean, how would you characterize him, the journey he's been on, but what he's been able to do through these first four games for the Bulldogs? Well, he's got, um, he's got mobility and, and he makes good decisions. You know, he gets rid of the ball quickly and, you know, Georgia's going to throw a lot of three, four receiver um, routes. You're going to see two tight ends at times. They've got good tight ends as well. Obviously, Alabama's been exploited there. But, you know, Stetson likes throwing over the middle. Uh, they, most of their passes are within 20 yards. It's a short, controlled pass game, uh, efficient. And as I said, he's got good mobility. He's hard to get. And uh, he can scramble for yardage as well. This Alabama defense, we know, struggled uh, immensely last week. One of the worst performances, arguably, in program history. So how does the Georgia offense, and we'll get to the defense here in a second, but how does this Georgia offense capitalize on um, such a poor performance from Alabama last week? Obviously, some of it translates, some of it doesn't. Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, I covered Alabama in the 90s, and they didn't have to play against offenses and rules like this. A lot of this is just kind of a sign of the times, and – People want offense, so they keep making more and more rules to help the offense out. 
Um, so from a historical perspective, I think you need to take that into consideration. The George offense doesn't resemble the Ole Miss offense. I mean, the Ole Miss offense is talented. You know, talking with Jim Nagy, the senior bowl executive director and former NFL scout says, hey, there's five or six NFL guys on that Ole Miss offense. There may be five or six NFL guys on the Georgia offense, but they haven't grown up yet. It's a very young offense. Remember, they lost two um, first-round offensive tackles, an NFL offensive guard, and Cade Mays transferred out. So, you know, they're basically missing four out of five starters on their offensive line. They're playing with a former walk-on uh, quarterback. Um, so, that no, that doesn't sound anything like Ole Miss, does it? They don't play with tempo. And uh, their running backs haven't really gotten off this year. Zamir White, for all the hype, he had 22 carries for 50 yards against Tennessee. So not sure that George is going to be able to exploit Alabama, uh, certainly not to the extent of Ole Miss. Uh, but the key is going to be, can they get some sort of run game going where they can put that defense in a pass run conflict? Defensively for Georgia, they've got two guys that are tied in the secondary for leading the SEC in interceptions right now with two through four games. So tell me about this Georgia defense, especially that secondary and how they're going to have to, what they're going to have to do to stop this prolific Alabama offense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of the flip side once again, when we talk about the ability to run and everybody goes, boy, this is the same, you know, analysis we get from everyone. Well, the reason why is because if you can run and throw, it really kind of keeps the defense guessing, right? If you can stay on schedule and get four to six yards on first down running it, what are you going to do on second and four, second and six? It could be a pass, it could be a run, and, you know, third and three or shorter, you know, same situation. So explosive plays come out of having that defense guessing. Um, yeah, it's for the secondary. Richard LeCount is probably the best safety in the country. I mean, he's a special player, uh, probably would have more picks. He had a Kind of one of those crazy ejections for putting a shoulder pad into another shoulder pad certainly wasn't the targeting is uh, I think the rule was drawn up, but, but he's a leader. He's important to the team. Uh, Eric Stokes is a sticky cornerback. He can be beat by a bigger uh, receiver, but in terms of quickness, uh, you know, he's all about it. And then uh, Tyson Campbell stepped up and played really well. He's a former five-star from Miami. Uh, excellent player playing on top of his game at the other corner. They, they, they are good in the secondary. They're very solid, um, you know, but they've been solid against Alabama before in the secondary, right? And they haven't seen a pass game like Alabama, I don't think. I mean, you talk about Jalen Waddle and Devontae Davis, and you're, you're talking about two first-round NFL receivers here, and it, it's just different. Mike, I want to ask you this. Um, as we move on here, the Alabama offense is, is something, as you just mentioned, that's – got all different types of weapons and so from Kirby Smart's perspective what does he have to focus on he has to focus on all aspects but what's the one thing if he had to circle one thing with this Alabama offense what would it be Najee Harris obviously having a great season would it be Mac Jones would it be the offensive line and trying to get that front seven uh, as much pressure on Mac as possible what is it uh, that Kirby has to worry about the most well I think he wants to you know make them one dimensional that's where every defensive coordinator starts and you know, does Alabama throw to set up the run? Do they run to set up the throw? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that, that Alabama can play this. You know, Sarkeesian is a, he's a great offensive mind, right? It's a, it's a great meeting of the minds. And Alabama's got the chess pieces to neutralize, I think, some of that Georgia defensive front. How aggressive does Georgia really want to be bringing pressure? You know, when do they take their chances? So if, if Alabama can run the ball effectively, I think that's going to limit Dan Lanning's uh, opportunities to bring pressure and kind of shoot their shot, right? Uh, hard to blitz on second and five. 
Um, you know, but if Alabama's continually in third and seven, third and 10, that sets up well for the Georgia defense to make some plays defensively, whether it's interceptions, whether it's blitzes, pressures. Um, so to me, I think really probably the whole key to the game uh, is how well Alabama runs. And that doesn't mean they have to line up and run into an eight-man box. It just means they need to find a way uh, to have some degree of balance and stay on schedule. And typically the run is the best way to do that. Of course, with Alabama, Georgia, and the history they've had in the past couple of years, and, and even beyond that, um, extending, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to talk about Nick Saban. We're going to talk about Kirby Smart. So I'm going to ask you, uh, what, what similarities have you seen in the way that Kirby runs his program that he kind of took from Nick Saban and, and how the way Coach Saban runs his program at Alabama? What are the overlaps there? Well, I think they both understand that there's a lot more to the program than this, this, the X's and the O's. I mean, you know, the Kirby, first thing he did was try to get the facilities up to par. It reminds me of what Nick Saban did at Alabama. I mean, um, you know, the Alabama that I covered in the 1990s had embarrassing facilities con contrasted to Tennessee and some of the other programs around the league. And, you know, Alabama had to catch up and move ahead in the facilities game. And Nick got that done. And, you know, he pushed the administration to, you know, invest in football. And I think a lot of people at the time saw that as a gamble when Nick got the first contract that he did as the highest paid guy. Um, everybody thought Alabama kind of sold their soul. Um, as it turned out, it, it was a good investment. Nick Saban, uh, money well spent, the results have followed. Uh, Georgia's always been a pretty good program, uh, a sleeping giant when you consider all the talent in state relative to the states around it. And I think that now that George is caught up in facilities, adding the indoor facility three years ago, and, and now you're seeing the $80 million football building under construction will be due in, or should be done in January. Uh, you know, since Kirby Smart was hired in 2016, you're talking about $170 million in facilities, upgrades, and improvements. Kirby's also trying to get the game out of Jacksonville. It's, a, it's kind of a senseless uh, tradition. Um, you know, George is basically traveling 340 miles by choice. And, and, and Florida's going 70. Uh, in this COVID year, even, they're doing it. They're giving up a home game to fly to Jacksonville. It, it'd almost be like – well, it would be like if Alabama played LSU in New Orleans every year. It just, it just doesn't seem to make sense. They give up a valuable home recruiting weekend, albeit this year uh, there's no recruiting uh, considerations. They also take a lot of money out of the pockets of the people in their town and their community and, you know, that network that supports them. So that's something else I think you'll see end in 2023 – uh, Nick didn't have to worry about that. Uh, Pat Dye took care of that in 1990 for both schools. Uh, Alabama begrudgingly consented about 10 years later, moved the game from Birmingham, Tuscaloosa. I think everybody would agree now. Everybody's happier with those games on campus. So I, I see some things in terms of the structural, the, the program. Uh, as far as from an X's and O's standpoint, um, you know, I think Kirby goes out and hires great assistant coaches just like Nick did. He stays involved in everything. I think you see the whole one voice thing. You don't hear many assistant coaches talking at all. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, that, that's a lot. I mean, you know, Kirby spent 11 years with Nick and Nick had his greatest success with Kirby. Um, you know, Kirby was a defensive coordinator uh, with Nick Saban at Alabama for eight years and they won four national titles. There's been five years of Nick Saban without Kirby as a defensive coordinator and they won one. Um, you know, Nick is obviously gotten the better of the past two meetings and yet you look and you know out of those 120 minutes uh, George has either letter been tied 118 minutes and 54 seconds so it's come down to the final play uh, the final minute the final second and uh, this game could too. I'm really excited to see that and, and the matchups have been just tremendous and, and 
seeing them firsthand, uh, you know, and, and the quarterbacks, the backups. Uh, had a couple friends at Alabama joking about how, well, you know, Georgia's seen both backup quarterbacks. Now it's time to see the backup head coach and Sarkeesian, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but, Mike, two more questions for you here. So we talked about Kirby Smart. What are your impressions? And, and you know, Scott Cochran that's been, has been a name that's been around college football forever. But his impact on Georgia and just your initial impressions of the year he's had um, now moving over to Athens. You know, it's interesting. I, I didn't want to like him. When they announced that he was going to do a press conference, I, I didn't want to like this guy. <clears throat> you know, I see these coaches jumping up on the sidelines and <clears throat> everybody's got that guy. And you always think to yourself, you know, this guy's just trying to draw attention to himself and anybody can be a rah-rah guy and a cheerleader. Uh, you know, but when Cochran spoke, I really understood why Tua said, you know, that he had been the backbone of the program. I mean, he's a, uh, he is a very energetic guy. And yet his enthusiasm is undeniably authentic. I mean, he has a certain magnetism and charisma about him that's undeniable. He is a difference maker. There's no question. I don't know if the Georgia team has the full Scott Cochran effect because, uh, you know, he hasn't, you know, these kids haven't grown up with him, so to speak. And you had those strange and peculiar COVID off season where you couldn't do the sort, same sort of team building and socializing that you typically would. So I don't think the Cochran effect is, is in full yet. Uh, but I think undeniably it was a big get for Georgia. Their special teams have been excellent. Gotcha, Mike. Thank you so much for joining. Appreciate the time and look forward to this top five matchup in Bryant-Denny Stadium Saturday night. Should be fun. Thank you. That's Mike Griffith of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Dog Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. Does a great job covering the dogs. And like he said, he did cover Alabama years ago and now is covering Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. So once again, give Mike a follow on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. Moving on now on the Galloway Podcast to Around Alabama Athletics, our third and final segment, as we always do. We're going to go around Tuscaloosa and kind of update you on what's happening. Of course, Alabama-Georgia this weekend, that kickoff is at 7 p.m. on CBS, and we just broke down that game with Mike. And bouncing around a little bit now to all different types of ranks and and updates here, Alexa Garacci made the Grand Slam final and finished runner-up in the French Open That was in the women's doubles. She and her partner lost in two sets on the final day, but a former Alabama women's tennis player in Alexa Garacci making a Grand Slam final. That's always notable news. The men's golf we talked about on the last podcast, men's and women's golf began their season. Men's golf won the Blessings Collegiate Invitational up in Arkansas. So Alabama men's golf back on track right where they need to be. And professionally for Alabama men's golf, Trey Mullinex, took home the top honors at Orange County National Championship, winning a trophy last weekend. That was on Sunday. And, of course, he had that concussion back in May of 2019, so it's good to see him get on the winning side of things. Congratulations to Trey Mullinex. The tennis squad seasons are underway in Tuscaloosa, and they've been competing in the SEC. They've Some of them have competed at home as well, so men's and women's tennis at the University of Alabama is in full swing. Also, the volleyball season set for October 21st to start their season, so that is coming up in just a couple of days. We'll keep an update and keep an eye out for Alabama women's Alabama volleyball, led by head coach Lindsey Devine. Um, 
A great, great game this weekend in Alabama, Georgia. A top five matchup. College game day is in town. They've been in town since late Wednesday night. Their truck's setting up. And as a student at the University of Alabama, such an incredible experience to get to see last year, Alabama-LSU, despite the outcome, Alabama-LSU in a top five matchup, not even one full calendar year later, Alabama-Georgia in a top five matchup. And so, Alabama football providing its students with the premier experience. We're really excited to see what this game holds in Alabama, Georgia. And if asked for score predictions, I'm you know I I'm never great at giving score predictions, and I kind of refuse to do them honestly, just because I don't love to be wrong, and especially in this aspect, if I pick something, it's not even going to be close. So my, my luck is whatever I say, you know, it's going to go the opposite way. So I just don't give a score prediction. But I want you to give me a score prediction on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. The winners each week this college football season will be given some free Galloway podcast merchandise. This week it's a coffee mug. Last week it was a golf towel. It could be a tumbler. It could be a game day sticker. Whatever. It might even be a t-shirt here in the future. But want everybody to check that out on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Score prediction Friday. Every Friday morning I will tweet a prediction and I want you to reply. I want you to reply with your prediction and That'll be a great thing we've got going there. I want to remind everybody that if you want to buy Galloway Podcast merchandise, a handful of Comfort Colors t-shirts are available with the Galloway Podcast logo on the front left pocket. Tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, game day stickers are all available as well. So get your Galloway Podcast merchandise. Any further questions on that, you can reach me on Twitter. My DMs are open at WM underscore Galloway. I want to thank Mike Griffith for his time today on episode 54 of the Galloway Podcast, previewing Alabama, Georgia. Really excited about that one. Once again, 7 p.m. kickoff on CBS here in Tuscaloosa. Going to be a great matchup. Episode 54 of the Galloway Podcast, where we went around the SEC scoreboard, took a look back at last week, what happened in SEC action. We took a preview of game times and what's going to happen this weekend in the SEC. We talked to Mike Griffith, and as we always do, we went around Alabama athletics. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.